Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, hello again. This is the second episode of the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen, the author of the book Debunking Economics, as well as head of the School of Economics, History and Politics at Kingston University in London. And I'm Phil Dobby, nowhere near as well qualified. I've got an A-level in economics, basically. That was about as far as I got. But that does mean I'm allowed to ask the stupid questions that will hopefully help us to explore the murky world of economic theory and debunk it. That's why we're here. Now, today we're going to talk about the uh, crazy ideas or maybe the not so crazy ideas of Donald Trump. Before we do that though Steve uh, last time we talked about inflation and how inflation can actually be a good thing because of course it uh, it reduces the value of any debt that you might be holding. Well we had a couple of responses to that. Jay Crockett was one of them. He said well inflation figures usually refer to nominal price increases without any commensurate increase in salary. So paying off debt is just as hard he says. Yeah it's actually I'm thinking more about the inflation as it affects uh, corporate debt in that particular case and when you have a high uh, you know, the, the, the profits are rather more flexible, rather more volatile than wages are. So if you have a period of, um, of high inflation where debt corporations also have high debt, um, their, their profit margins will be squeezed very badly if there's falling prices. This is, just think about the time dimension that's involved in production and sale. You have to buy something and then sell it at a later date. Now, there are difficulties in, in adjusting inventory prices in the upward direction, but if price is actually going in the downward direction, and this is the danger of deflation, you buy your inputs at one price. You then have to sell the output at a, at a later stage when price levels have fallen. So you're forced to reduce your price. So not much that inflation is good, it's deflation is very bad right. because it can actually make it unprofitable under business just by the time delays that are involved in, in production, buying inputs, and then finally having outputs to sell. So that's the danger that people don't actually think of. And when you, when you see the conventional discussion of deflation, it's all about, oh, well, prices will be cheaper. It's going to be easy for you. It's always thinking from the consumer's point of view and not saying, well, if prices are falling, can firms make a profit? The firms can't make a profit. What happens to capitalism? Right. Okay. So uh, yeah, there's nothing worse than having an input coming into your company and you're paying mm -hmm. a certain price for it. It's like uh, buying a house yeah. and the house price going down, isn't it? Well, look, Himel Patel uh, from Fisher and Paykel, uh, that's where he works. He had a question as well. Uh, isn't the interest rate on debt normally greater than the inflation rate? So uh, the, any gain you get from a higher interest rate mm. is going to be lost uh, with the greater interest that's going to be paid. Well, we're going to put that to one side because actually in a couple of episodes time, we'll look at the role of interest rates and uh, and it will probably return a little bit to inflation as well but uh, this week i want to look at uh, the big man donald trump is he as crazy as he appears uh, or does he have some smart ideas uh, lost in that bombacity so uh, let's get cracking on this steve i mean is he a smart man or is he just a, a populist or, or is he a bit of both 
He's smart and a populist, but he's also, I mean, just having this as a personal reflection, but having watched his personality and his behaviour, he reeks of what's called narcissistic personality disorder yeah, to me. Doesn't he? I have personal experience with somebody with that particular syndrome, and they're exciting for a while until you realise they're, 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 they're bonkers, and they cannot make a mistake. They cannot make an error. Everything goes wrong with somebody else's fault. And that's the last sort of personality I want anywhere near a red button. So uh, that's that's my, my main reason for being scared about the guys. What he do, what he what he might do if somebody annoys him. And you know the old joke about um, I've forgotten how it goes, but it's the one about what's what's uh, what's what's uh, orange and glows in the dark. It's supposed to be either Saudi Arabia or Iran. I'm rather worried he'll press a button and try to make that into a reality. So that yeah. alone rules him out in my point of view. Even but, even you know, before even before he does that, what's orange and glows in the dark sounds like Donald Trump to me. Really, it does, yeah. <laughs> except, except around the eyes, it's strange. Around, he doesn't get around the eyes properly, but still, yeah. Now, does he understand economics, though? I mean, uh, and I asked that question because I remember the first debate on TV, and he said he wanted to impose import tariffs on Mexico because they charged VAT on imported U.S. goods. He didn't mention that they charge VAT on domestic goods and everything else, but he said on that basis, uh, you know, he wanted to imp- introduce import tariffs. So I, that would mean presumably he'd charge a twenty percent import duty on goods from the UK because we've got a, a 20% VAT here. So uh, in cases like that, was he being disingenuous or was he just plain dumb? No, in fact, I think he's he, he's a, he's a, he's a sceptic about globalisation, even though he's made a fair bit of personal money out of it, by the way. If you look at where, he, where the toys for Trump, I don't think the toys for Trump uh, shops are made in America somehow. Uh, no. But what's actually gone with the whole thing? It's It's been sold on the idea of uh, comparative advantage, uh, specialisation. You know, the Mexicans specialise in some stuff, Americans specialise in others were all better off. Uh, it's a myth. It's a myth. It's, a, it's the, the longest running myth in economics going back to David Ricardo and that's a, t- a topic for another day yeah, yeah. but on this particular case because he's saying these things are undercutting American jobs and so on, he's right and the mainstream cannot admit that because that goes against this, this model of comparative advantage which is a, which is a, a hallmark uh, religious belief in mainstream economics. I can see that. I can see that because when you talk about and you're you know you're right. It is an, uh, for another episode where we talk about whether free trade is a good thing or not because he wants to abolish the Trans-Pacific Partnership and other free trade deals. Get that that you can argue that you know maybe he's right on that. But when you start talking about VAT, I mean that's not a tariff which is being placed on imports that's it that's just another form of taxation it's a direct taxation versus an indirect taxation and it applies to everything whether it's imported or not so he's so mexico is not um disadvantaging uh u.s goods any more than it's disadvantaging goods from anywhere else in the world including domestic goods yeah no he's he's got he one of saying his gut sentiment to be anti-globalization locks right. him with where yeah. his various electoral supports coming from his ideas on top of that can be crazy but what he's actually identifying is something that that actually hits the gut of the people who are going to go and vote for him. Yeah. And that's the way you get electoral success. It's the emotional appeal you make. And it works in this particular instance because these people have been told for decades now that this you know, free trade and globalisation and moving your jobs offshore is good for you. And they're looking around at their depressed uh, towns and looking at their you know, casualised w- uh, work role and the, the fact that they're, they're now saying, would you like fries with that rather than pass me the wrench? Um, they are now feeling de- de- debilitated by that, and suddenly somebody's 
expressing what they're feeling and that's where this fanatical support for him actually originated right so in that sense his economics his intuition is right his ideas are wrong but his intuition is right right and but i mean is the is the fundamental let's forget about the the, the vat argument but i mean just mm. the free trade argument is he right that you know the the, uh, the 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 collapse of middle america and you know around the world as well people uh, being underemployed um is that the result of too much global free trade should we have a bit yeah. of protectionism yeah it's it's part of an effect of it and there's i'll backtrack a bit this when you look at the empirical data on free trade and whether it leads to growth or not the overwhelming result of that argument is does not I'm not the expert in any empirical work here, but there's a guy called Danny Roddick who is. And looking at the story about how does an economy grow, the free trade case is, well, you liberalise everything, specialise in what you're good at, and you'll grow faster. And he said, if you look at successful countries like uh, Japan, that would mean that if that actually had worked, Japan would now be the world's leading exporter of silk. Right. Okay, okay. It's nonsense. What they actually do is they tend to protect their industries for a while uh, so that you can only buy Japanese bicycle motorbikes in, in Japan. Uh, but they then put you under great pressure to A, start developing cars, B, make your things cheaper and, and, and better quality all the time, driving down the, the barriers that are keeping out the foreigners to keep the pressure to make sure the manufacturers continue innovating with the intention at some stage of exporting cars to America. Right. Once, now, you, once the, you've got the economies of scale. So you protect yeah. it to get, uh, get up to scale and then yeah. the incremental cost makes it cheaper to, to export. And then you get to the stage where you end up wiping out American uh, companies. So uh, to, to go back historically, why that happened with Japan, uh, there was a, a brilliant industrialist called Deming who made an argument for what he called just-in-time manufacturing. So rather than having a whole uh, bunch of, of stocks uh, outside the factory and a production line which just went on relentlessly without ever stopping even when there were mistakes, uh, Deming production lines had a, uh, a stop button. You could stop the production line at any point. Any worker could do it. This isn't working well. Let's fix it up. Then the line starts again. Ultimately, the line never stops. And and what happens is stuff comes in one end as, a, as input, goes out the other side as product. And you're much, much more efficient that somebody's got to send stuff to get it reworked all the time. So that's that, that idea was ignored by the Americans. But Deming was, it was uh, invited to Japan taught the Japanese uh, manufacturing industry that particular approach, and they then were relentlessly getting more efficient at production behind these protection walls that guaranteed them part of the market to begin with. Right. But that pattern's been repeated around the world. So the argument that free trade leads to growth is wrong. Right. So he's, got a, so he's got a point on that. Okay. The he's next one, because we've, we've got a few here we've got to work through okay. very quickly now. Okay. Uh, one of yeah. them is manipulating exchange rates. So he's mm. he's been saying, look, you know, they're keeping the value of the one down in order to make exports from the country cheaper. Uh, I'm not sure they've been doing that. Haven't they been doing the opposite? Haven't they actually been trying to keep the one strong because they, you know, think it's going to be a sign of economic confidence? And so they, you know, they've been uh, dipping into their reserves to try and boost the one. Hasn't he got that wrong? No. In fact, a lot of the time they have been trying to keep it under under the rate it would reach if they simply let the uh, the, the dollars that they're making from export surpluses turn up as as as, as one circulating in the Chinese economy. The, uh, this is a, a bit of a double entry uh, uh, story to work out. What the hell happens but if you have a chinese manufacturer and they sell a computer to an american purchaser then they get american dollars sent to them and what they do is they take those american dollars to the bank and the bank swaps them free for yuan now that me mechanism gives the central bank which is actually the one that take, gets the dollars in and then hands the yarn back it gives it a choice about what to do with the surplus of american dollars it accumulates and what it's been doing is buying american bonds 
Mm. Now, part of that, therefore, you're buying American bonds as a cash flow back from the Chinese into the American economy, driving up uh, the value of the American dollar. Right. But they're saying, here's, you know, so, so you, you, have, or, uh, you, you have all these various effects that there, there is a certain role and, and the, the extent to which the central bank intervenes in the, in the money market can also change the, um, the, the value of their currency. And particularly when you're running a huge trade surplus, as China is doing, you've got a lot of freedom to do that. Countries like England that had a trade deficit back when they were trying to do the same thing, maintain a high value of the pound or manipulate it, they get, they get done in. But China can get away with it. So he is right. Again, his, his intuitions seem to be right. His ideas seem to be wrong. All right. The next one is he's basically saying that the Federal Reserve, the, uh, the Reserve Bank in the United States, is in cahoots with the government because they're holding back on interest rates because President Obama doesn't want to have a recession or a depression during his administration. So, uh, yeah, not quite getting this, but would there be a recession if, um, uh, if, if we were to see the Fed push interest rates up? Yeah. Well, then we would. Yeah, if, if they put rates up, there would be a recession pretty rapidly uh, for reasons the Federal Reserve itself doesn't understand. But uh, Obama, uh, really, the think about the, the political relationship between presidents and central banks. The one of the, when inflation was running at 15 and 20 percent, those sorts of huge levels back in the 70s and 80s, uh, it meant that if the politicians responsible for setting the rate, they got the negative uh, jibe from the public about putting up rates. They were very happy to give in to the economists who are arguing there should be central bank independence and say, you guys said it, not our problem anymore. Please take it off our hands. So in that sense, uh, 20 or 30 years ago, politicians handed control of setting rates over to the economists in the central banks. So Obama's got zero capability to tell the uh, central uh, res- the res- feds what to do. Right. And again, what, but he, what but he's obviously is- he's obviously implying that they are in each other's pockets or they have uh, some sort of cozy yeah. relationship. But and to this then, if if, uh, if he's saying, well, you know, if they if they push interest rates up, it's going to it's going to cause a recession. And you say, yes, he's right on that. And yet he mm. wants them. He wants the Fed to push up. Interest rates. He criticised them for keeping them on hold last time. So where's he standing on all of this? Well, in, in, in both sides of a crack, obviously. Um, <laughs> you know, he's, he, if he actually got what he's talking about, there'd be a recession very rapidly on his watch. And if he became pro, uh, president, and he'd wear the opprobrium for it. Yeah. And then, of course, he'd say he didn't say that at all. I mean, the guy. One one thing about him, he says so many things. He's he gave him complete liberty to whatever he likes when he get if he got into office. Now, a lowering tax is uh, one of the things as well across the board, especially, he says, for working and middle-income Americans who receive a massive tax reduction, massive tax reduction, and uh, also wants to I lower... I thought it was huge, but anyway. Well, I know. Well, maybe. It's probably changed it now. Huge. Like, enormous. Uh, it's going to be large, anyway, whatever it is. Um, so, cutting taxes um, uh, at a time where, you know, the government's carrying so much debt, is that is that a smart move? Again, Yes. This is the crazy thing. His intuitions are right. His ideas are wrong. Uh, because what this is exactly what Reagan did. People don't seem to remember this, but Reagan came in believing what's called the Laffer Curve. And I could think of a better named economist than Laffer. I used to laugh at him a lot. Um, <laughs> but Laffer said that there's a sort of sweet spot uh, where if you have, uh, if you lower taxes, you actually increase tax revenue because the economy grows more than you cut the taxes. Yeah. And this this uh, uh, little fantasy was something that Reagan, uh, you know, it looked like some of the cartoons he used to read, so he went for it. And what actually happened was, the idea was that if you cut taxes, you actually increase government revenue. Therefore, the government's uh, budget would tend towards balance. In fact, what happened was it was a, a huge increase in the deficit, and that's what stimulated the American economy. 
back when Reagan was, was president. So uh, it, his idea about, and, and the reason it does it can work is that the government's the only institution in society that owns its own bank. And therefore, when it pays its debts, it's paying it with its own bank's capability to print the stuff indefinitely. So, and, and particularly when you're either running a trade surplus or you're the reserve currency of the world, you aren't, you aren't bothered by, uh, you, there's nothing that can stop you continuing to do that. So you do it, you get an increase in the government debt. It doesn't really matter because you're paying it with your own, you know, what you can call funny money, if you like. And and therefore, it boosts the economy at the time. So if he did it, he would actually cause a huge boost to the economy. It would also cause a huge blowout in the budget deficit. And he'd then have to wear that politically, but he'd wear it quite successfully. Right. Um, so, but his understanding is why it, why it would work. Uh, is again, it's like the Laffer curve, and it's as laughable as Laffer. Right. Okay. So basically, if you're cutting taxes, you're giving people more money to spend. Therefore, they buy more, which helps for growth, and then that growth ultimately uh, might help to to reduce that uh, that government debt that's blown out in the meantime. Mm. That's basically what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically, and it would cause a boom. It would also cause a blowout that he's not expecting in the budget deficit. That wouldn't matter as much. It would stimulate the economy drastically. Yeah. So uh, again, in some ways, given how. Uh, on, I mean, in, in this sense, remember that even though America is in the heart of capitalism, we know that capitalism is on the nose for most of uh, Trump's supporters in that way because they're very similar to the people who are supporting Bernie Sanders, who called himself a democratic socialist. Yeah. So the idea of the government doing something to boost the economy by cutting back what it takes out of our pockets and then printing the stuff anyway, that's got more of an appeal in the anti-establishment world that Trump and Bernie Sanders uh, were, were successful in than people in Washington appreciate. Yeah, they've actually got more in common, those two, than they probably would like to admit, haven't they? <laughs> in yeah, many ways. yeah. Uh, now, uh, cutting immigration, stopping this reliance on foreign workers because the foreign workers obviously are taking all of our jobs. We've got to stop them. If they stop coming into the country, uh, then there's more jobs to go around. But, of course, there's also less people consuming goods and mm. paying taxes. So is he right on this? No, I, th- I think I, I, would, I think this, the, uh, the worry over Mexico, um, <laughs> it's racism pure and simple in many ways. But uh, there is an excess level of migration happening right now. And it is overwhelming a lot of wealthy nation, national economies. And what you've really got is is not the sort of um, episodic immigration where somebody like, you know, I don't know, this bloke called Phil Dobby decides to move from Australia to England uh, or this guy called Steve Keen does the same thing. Uh, it's everybody in the country wanting to get out because there are no jobs. And that is the pressure that in some senses you see from Mexico to America. But it's far more important over in Europe where that's the large, major reason why Brexit occurred because you had European countries which were literally suffering and actually being depopulated because people, A, nobody wants to have a child in the situation of Greece and Spain right now, but B, anybody who's old enough to find a job somewhere else and leave does so and goes to where it's easy to get into, which of course becomes in England and Germany in that, in that country. Um, so the, 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 the systemic uh, cause of immigration that Trump's talking about um, that is that's that's a reasonable factor right but you, he's, you can't, he's not worried about but, the depopulation of these countries though he's worried about these people uh taking jobs away and is he is he right on that no i think i think well they, they take jobs away they create jobs it's, yeah but the, what, what you get is is what's called uh capital broadening rather than capital deepening uh when you get these people coming in you've got to therefore provide more schools more roads more cars etc cetera, etc cetera. you don't necessarily provide smarter schools uh, smarter roads and smarter cars and uh, focusing upon population growth as a source of 
of economic growth doesn't necessarily get you to technologically develop and become, you know, produce better per capita growth over time. So, and like in Australia's case, for example, there's a strong argument that we've, uh, if Australia's passed the level of population it should have, it should be trying to reduce its population. And a similar thing could be said for America. I don't honestly know, but there, there is an interesting set of studies which take us from economics to ecology called the human ecological footprint. And that says if you converted all the, all the needs we have of goods and services into acreage, how much acreage is America using of its current acreage and like most countries in the world the answer is about 1.5 times as many acres as it actually has so we really have got issues about population growth and I think in, in that sense, I can understand the appeal, but it's the way it's expressed is racism, pure and simple. Well, and on that acreage question, I mean, he's also said he wants to make America energy independent. He wants to use their, their own oil, their own shale, gas, clean coal. Um, he doesn't want to import. Uh, he wants them to use their own fuel. Uh, are they going to be able to do that? Not if they're going to go with oil and shale gas and clean coal, because the last one is a, clean coal is a, is, is a fairy. It's a fantasy. It doesn't actually happen. It's going to fail. And there's been a couple of spectacular failures costing American taxpayers billions of dollars uh, in, in, in attempts to get clean coal going in America just recently. But oil and shale gas, I'm sorry, the other thing, I, I don't know, don't you see, is he a climate change denier? I don't actually know that. I would have thought so. Sounds like it, yeah, doesn't I, it? Although there he is, he's, he's talking about uh, alternative, he's sort of, He's talking about conventional uh, fuel, but um, using the slightly cleaner versions, isn't he? So, uh, he, maybe, maybe maybe actually understand that'd be a, that'd be a shock for half his uh, half his supporters. Aren't yeah, it? maybe that's probably why he steers off it. <laughs> maybe you should check and see and see. And that'd be intriguing to find out. They've not one to follow up on. But uh, yeah, if, if you're going to do it with oil and shale and gas, forget it. This is we are running into into carbon limits, which are becoming more and more obvious. At the time it's not not going to work. But you could become energy independent by focusing upon renewable energy. It's not, it's not easy. This is another thing which is ignored by the ecological lobby. Again, a topic for another another time around. But there's a much higher return. If the energy you put in to get energy out of oil is much less than the energy you put in to get energy out of solar power. And that's becoming a real issue for us as we have to go. We literally are forced to go from relying upon fossil energy to relying upon renewable energy. But in the meantime, the, the possibility of America being uh, energy independent on oil and shale, there's no way it can be done on oil. The oil, oil output's been falling since 1980. That's another interesting area of the, uh, what's called peak oil. Uh, so you can't do it on, 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 on oil. It's impossible. Shale, uh, beyond Again, it just doesn't give the yields that are necessary. So he's not going to do that. Right. He certainly won't do it when Saudi Arabia is keeping the prices down like they are. So that one is also ain't going to happen. But irrespective of, of, of what the means is uh, of energy, the idea of, yes, let's make ourselves energy independent, is that, uh, is that a noble aim? Again, it's, I guess it's an, we, we talked about it before. It's an element of protectionism, isn't it? But isn't it also, I mean, if, if you deny yourself cheap oil, for example, aren't you pushing up your local fuel? prices if, if, if oil on the international yeah, yeah, market no, is a lot cheaper. It is, it is an issue that uh, the economies need to worry about, particularly when they're running trade deficits. So most of that deficit in America's case is importing energy. So um, it, 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 is a, it is something that matters economically, ignored by the mainstream, but it does matter. So again, uh, the, the, the fact that Trump's talking about it hits a chord with people who have been told this stuff doesn't matter. Uh, America can get away with a trade deficit because it's a reserve currency that makes life much easier for it. But nonetheless, uh, being energy dependent, 
can be a, a real problem. Now, of course, Japan's made that problem into a strength, but it's done it by until it hit its, uh, its own debt crisis back in 1990. It did it by you know, dramatically having incredibly good manufacturing and uh, very high rate of technological growth and then exploiting cheap energy uh, that they brought in from overseas. America has done without the industrialization of the ship that overseas in, in taking advantage of free trade agreements and free trade zones. So at the same time, it's also been importing the energy. So it, it has been a, a, a limitation for them. But they, his solution can't work. Uh, you're not going to do it with... Uh, with oil, that's just physically impossible in America's case, and you're not going to do it with shale because that's ecologically impossible in the medium term. Right, okay. So it's not going to happen. Uh, well, I, look, I've got news for you. Uh, I don't think the war with Mexico is going to happen either. Um, by the way, he is, uh, he does believe in uh, the global warming. He just doesn't believe uh, it, uh, mankind has anything to do with it. That's according to a report on CNN at the uh, the tail end of last month. So, no, he doesn't believe in man-made climate change. But look, one thing uh, you would agree with him on, uh, he is a man after your own heart in some ways. He believes the easiest way to get rid of the debt which uh, countries are carrying and people are carrying is to write debt off. Yeah, this is one of the intriguing things. He's actually made a large amount of his money out of bankruptcy. I mean, we now know that he, what, he declared under a $916 million um, loss at some point in his taxation career, which is why he probably had paid tax for the last 18 years. Uh, but he also, and quite, re quite regularly, has restructured his business, has gone bankrupt, and very, very cleverly managed to manoeuvre it so that he managed to remain solvent while his suppliers went, uh, went under. So his uh, capacity to think uh, that debt is not sacrosanct uh, is something which actually could work in his favour if he got into the, into the Oval Office. Uh, I don't think he's going to get there. I certainly hope he's not going to get there. But on that particular front, again, he's got intuition is sensible. Right. Well, and, the, you know, in a nutshell, it looks like, as you've said a few times, you know, his intuition is, is good. Uh, he's failing on the detail. The problem is, of course, some of these ideas which are good ideas, are going to be put in the uh, the basket of crackpot ideas because they're going to be associated with Donald Trump. Yeah, but this is, I'm actually writing a blog post on this right now for Forbes and don't think it's all over when, when, when or if or when Donald loses because, because his intuitions are right, the pressures that are going to support any other person who comes forward with similar policies are still there. And think about it, could you find a more flawed human being to manifest these... <laughs> genuine feelings of the of American populace than Donald Trump. And only because we're talking about somebody who's you know, been literally on tape about, you know, grabbing women by their pussy as a way of introducing himself, uh, only because he's such an outrageous personality is he likely to lose. Hmm. If it wasn't for those incredibly bad uh, personal attributes, he would be the next president of the, America, of the United States of America. Now, in four years' time, he won't not might be running. He might be running his own media show, as we're now being told that it might be one of the side effects that he's been looking for. Can you imagine? To. I don't think I'm going to get a job yeah. on that. No, no, you, you, you wouldn't last long, mate. <laughs> uh, but, that, that, but the thing is, somebody like him, without his personal disabilities, will turn up at the next election. So it's not, Washington might think this is over the back to the Washington census. No, they're not. This is just a warning shot. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, there we are. The uh, Donald Trump report card. We'll catch you again uh, very soon. Thank you very much, Steve. You're welcome, mate.
So he is a crazy man with good ideas, basically. That's Donald Trump we're talking about, uh, not Steve Keen. And uh, next time, the story of interest rates. Economists spend their life pontificating over whether Reserve Bank should lift them or drop them. But what exactly does that do? How does it influence the rates you pay on your mortgage, for example? All is going to be explained in the next podcast. And we should forewarn you that in a week or two, some of these podcasts will be classified as premium content. That means there's going to be a small charge to access them. But others are going to be available free for one and all. But we will tell you how to join the paid subscription service next week. For now, though, I'm Phil Dobby. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.